Well, we are excited to be concluding our series uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and we've been doing that for a number of weeks, and I hope that's been a blessing to you. It has just been pretty amazing to walk through one of the great chapters in all of the New Testament. So many commands, so many exhortations, and I love the fact that the entire chapter is based on that first verse, that we are to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And uh, so many powerful, powerful implications to that. So we're going to be looking at, um, at verses 17 to 21. If you have your Bible, you might want to already be turning there. But let me begin by talking to you, kind of giving you uh, a little bit of a taste of what this passage really deals with. And this is a passage that's really powerful. I think it touches on a very, very key issue in our lives, and that is how do you respond when you are mistreated? How do you respond when you are treated unjustly? How do you respond, how do I respond when we feel betrayed by somebody that we have trusted? And so I wanna give you a question. I like to start with a question often. And here's the question that I think this passage answers for us. And again, I think it's powerful. I think it's a question that evokes a lot of emotion in many of us, and it's probably something that, that to some degree virtually all of us have experienced. How do you respond when you have been betrayed or a victim of injustice? How do you respond? You know, personal betrayal is horrible. I think it's one of the worst things in life, and it's happened to me, and it probably has happened to you as well. First and foremost, betrayal feels like a violation of trust, because typically we don't feel betrayed by people we don't know or don't know well. Often it's because we have a close relationship, maybe an intimate relationship with them. So that betrayal is rooted in lack of trust or a severing of that trust in our relationship. And maybe even as I'm talking about this right now with you, you're beginning to have thoughts or maybe even emotions about a time in your life where you felt betrayed. There are some, it's so sad, but there are some who have felt that betrayal after literally decades of a marriage. There are a lot of people that I know that have been betrayed and felt that sense of betrayal because of a boss, a supervisor, someone who you trusted, someone who you felt uh, knew you, somebody who you felt really had your back. And one day you just felt incredibly blindsided. Some of you know what it's like to be betrayed by a really close friend there aren't a lot of things more hurtful in life than to have a close friend and you share in confidence something very personal and then to know that they have broken that confidence. And sometimes even worse than breaking that confidence when they promised you they would tell no one, sometimes they then take what you've said to them and they twist it and they distort it and it makes it even more painful. Feeling betrayed is awful. 
it kind of wrecks us emotionally for a while and it often really affects our ability to trust other people. So, you know, I think a lot about how do we respond naturally? How do we tend to respond out of our own nature, which is bent towards sin? Even as children of God, we still have that nature that lives in us. We respond with rage. We respond with wrath. We respond with anger. And maybe what we might want more than anything else is to get even with that person who hurt us so very deeply. Have you been there? Have you felt betrayed? Have you been victimized by injustice in your own life? If you have my brother, my sister in Christ, you know how it feels. It is so very hurtful. But as is often so true in scripture, God puts his own beautiful twist on how you and I as his children are to respond. And it's virtually never the natural way to respond. It's a supernatural way that he calls us to respond. So what we're gonna be seeing together in these four powerful verses in Romans chapter 12, 17 to 21, what we're going to be seeing together is a contrast of how we would naturally respond when we're mistreated versus a very godly biblical response. And at the end of the day, you know what we're going to see together? It's the Jesus response. It's the response of our Lord Jesus. So if you have your Bible, I think the verses will be on the screen too, but if you have your Bible, let's turn there to Romans 12 if you're not already there. I am going to pick up in verse 17. Paul writes these words, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. Incredible. I want to share a little bit, before we jump right into this passage, I want to share a little bit that I think is really an important clarification. These verses are dealing with relationships, human relationships, how we relate to people. And you may have noticed that Paul in these verses uses the word everyone twice and anyone, he uses that word as well. This is not just talking about how Christians 
treat Christians and we treat everybody else differently. This is instruction about how you and I as children of God are to treat everybody. And so when we look at this, obviously we're taking a position of submission. We're taking a position of non-retaliation. And I think for some, they look at these verses and say, well, where is justice? Is there never justice to be done? And what's so fascinating is we don't have certainly have time to go into chapter 13 of, of the book of Romans, but the book of Romans talks about the place of government, the place of government in society and, and in culture. And obviously we need laws, we need rules, we need to, to have uh, reward for those who do what's right and punishment for those who do what's wrong. That's what it talks about in Romans chapter 13. In fact, verse 4, this will be up on the screen, verse 4 says this in Romans 13, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, the reason why I want to share this with you before we jump into the passage we're looking at today is to understand that, yes, there is justice. There is a justice system. There is to be law and order in a civil society. That not only is recognized by us and has been recognized for centuries, millennial, but was recognized in God's word. But what Paul is focusing on in the passage we're looking at in Romans 12 is how we relate to one another and very specifically when there has been deep offense, even betrayal in our lives, okay? So let's jump back and look at verse 17. Verse 17 tells us, do not repay evil for evil. And then he goes on to say in the last part of verse 17, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. As I thought about this part of verse 17, my mind immediately went to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Now some of you will say, that sounds like a familiar passage. Well, it will be when I read it to you. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then Paul adds this. He says, Against such things there is no law. I love that. You know, I think often when this, these verses are quoted, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, people leave that last phrase off. Against such things, there is no law. Because we, we kind of fixate on these beautiful nine characteristics that should flow out of the, our lives. They are the fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives, and they are be beautiful. But what he's saying to us is, you go to any society, you go to any culture, and if you live this way, you're not going to be a lawbreaker anywhere. Because against these kinds of things, there's no law, is his point. 
And so in my mind, you know, what I want to do is I want the Spirit of God to bear fruit through my life, don't you? I want the Holy Spirit to just pour out this love and this joy and this peace and this self-control and this patience and all of these characteristics that are the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. And you know, if that becomes who we are, then that'll touch every relationship that we have. So vital to understand that. Now, verse 18 is such an awesome verse. Paul goes on to write, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So I want us to look at our first contrast. I mentioned to you that I have three different contrasts, how we might naturally live in light of unjust treatment, betrayal, and what God has called us and how God has called us to live in that kind of situation. So here's my first contrasting pair, peacemaking versus retaliation. Peacemaking versus retaliation. Be at peace. If it, as far as it depends on you, be at peace. Pursue peace with people in all of your relationships. Now, one of the things that can be true uh, in the lives of many of us is that we can think about being a peacemaker and instead function as a people pleaser. Two different things. Peacemaker, we're told blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Is different than a people pleaser. What do I mean by that? Well, I think if our goal in life is to never have anybody mad at us, to have as many people as possible to like us, then as a believer, I think sometimes that means that we will compromise the life God has called us to live, don't you? Because sometimes Christians have to speak truth, and we have to speak truth that is not popular. We have to speak truth that hits the ears of people and it is offensive to them, and it makes them angry, and it may even cause them to want to persecute us. That's why he says, if possible, be at peace. You know, there's two ways of looking at that phrase, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace. One way of looking at it, very legitimate, is that I might say to somebody that I have conflict with, somebody that I have a strained relationship with, someone where there has been deep offense, and it may be my desire and my goal to reconcile that relationship, and that's a good thing. That's a godly thing to do. But it may not be possible for them to want to reconcile with me. Many of us have experienced this. Somebody in our lives, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a coworker, whoever it might be, we decide, God has convicted us, we decide that we need to take that first step in reconciling our relationship because there is a problem. There is distance, there is tension, there is anger, 
and we take that first step and we should do that and we say I hope you'll forgive me and I hope we can restore our relationship and you get the stiff arm you get the no way never from them so that's one of the reasons why he says if possible as far as it depends on you but I think there's another side of this if possible uh, peace in this being a peacemaker that's really important to understand sometimes it's not possible for me to pursue peace with another person if having peace with them has their conditions attached to it let me give you some examples of what I mean here's a couple scenarios somebody might say yeah I'll mend fences with you and be at peace with you but you can never talk to me about Jesus again I don't want to hear it I've had people who have family members like this I never want to hear you say that to me again I never want you to talk religion again I never want you to talk about your faith ever around me promise me if you promise me you will never do that again then I'll have some kind of cordial relationship with you well that might not be possible for you to do because you know without Christ they're lost how about this one if somebody says yeah I'll, I'll have some kind of relationship with you again but you need to engage at work in this cover-up with me you know we're not going to blow the whistle on anybody in this department even though we've done some things wrong even though we've you know kind of fudged the paperwork to make us look better some of us might say you know um, I want to be at peace with him my brother in Christ for example but in order to get there I need to confront him I need to confront him about his sin I need to confront him about um, the way he treats his wife there needs to be some confrontation God wants me to do that and so that's a part of us being at peace with one another and that person may not want to have anything with you because of that so I hope you hope you get what I'm saying if possible as far as it depends on you may, might mean that I have to compromise something that is part of my Christian convictions something that is part of me speaking truth to a person and it may not work out God Jesus loves peacemakers he said blessed are the peacemakers Matthew 5 verse 9 for they shall be called children of God so in attempting to answer this question that I started with how do you respond when you've been betrayed and the victim of injustice do we retaliate that might be our knee-jerk that might be our first impulse right but we're supposed to pursue peace with that person well Paul goes on verse 19 he goes on to write this he says do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord 
vengeance is mine. We've heard it translated that way. I will repay. That's this verse. Let me give you the second contrast. Personal vengeance is often what we want with somebody who has hurt us, offended us, betrayed us. But we need to rest in God's divine justice. Don't you find it fascinating that the passage says God will repay? <laughs> that God will right the wrongs? I think sometimes we can be so uh, grace-driven. Grace is awesome. Grace is wonderful. But sometimes we can so focus on grace and love and forgiveness and compassion, which absolutely is part a part of God's character, and forget that he's a God of holiness and justice and even wrath. And that's what we're being reminded of here. I think the two words in verse 19 that have just so captured me as I've been studying this is the phrase, leave room, leave room, but leave room for God's wrath. That's what it says. Leaving room is the opposite of taking matters into your own hands. Leaving room means refusing to begin plotting your revenge. Leaving room includes not fantasizing about that person's destruction and demise. Leave rooms. Leave room means it's God's method, God's timing, because it's God's justice. That's what it means. Here's a statement that, that I wanted to share with you. I, um, and this makes me incredibly sad. I have friends, and I'm talking many Christian friends over the many years that I've had friends, um, who have allowed a heart of vengeance to literally destroy them, to destroy their marriage, to have a deep effect on their children. And in my world, because I know so many people in full-time ministry to destroy their ministries. Here's a sentence, and if you take notes, you, you can jot this down. It'll be on your screen. A consuming desire for vengeance is poison to the soul. I want to repeat that. A consuming desire for vengeance is poison to the soul. God says, I'll repay. God doesn't forget. He is full of grace and mercy, yet he is just. That's what Paul is reminding of us. And my life needs to leave room for or entrust whatever justice God chooses to perform in his time, in his way, is completely up to him, not me. Because for me, it would be personal vengeance. But for him, it's divine justice. And I need to be really, really good with that, that I can trust him. 
you know, this whole idea of, of allowing God to fulfill his justice was modeled in our Lord Jesus. It really was. Peter captures, captures it so beautifully in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, as he speaks about how Jesus handled his beating and his mocking and his scourging and even his crucifixion. And here's Peter's words. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, meaning his father. That's the example of our Savior. God's divine justice. So are we leaving room for God's justice? You know, let me, let me tell you something. Um, I know this to be the case, and you probably do too. When we have been deeply hurt, deeply wrong, treated unjustly, betrayed by someone on this earth, we may never live to see that justice inflicted upon them. Or as they say, that person brought to justice. We may never see that in this life. But God is just. And in his infinite greatness and sovereignty and wisdom, he's just. And what we're being told here is we've got to leave that up to him. And so my friends, it's just, and again, I've, I've had to process this in my life as most of us have, is to really uh, ask God through his spirit to douse with his spirit that flaming anger, that emotional rage, that moment-by-moment -moment preoccupation with the destruction of that person who hurt you so badly. And God can bring healing. And God can bring peace. And God, through his spirit, can help us get to the point where our anger, our hurt, our pain no longer controls us, no longer has any power over us. And we leave it to him. He's a good God. He's a loving father, but he's a just God. And my dear friends, I'm speaking to some of you, I know I am right now, who are living what we're talking about this morning. You're living it. The wounds are still very, very, very fresh in your own heart and in your own life. And Jesus wants to be, be your healer. And he wants you to turn it over to him. Leave room for a good, just God. Let me continue on in verses 20 and 21 where Paul continues by saying, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. Now Paul is quoting almost verbatim from Proverbs 25 verses 21 and 22. So he is quoting from an Old Testament passage and then in that passage, in the Proverbs 25 passage, the author adds, and the Lord will reward you. Here's what one scholar wrote. I thought this was so helpful. What one scholar wrote about uh, Proverbs 25:22 may derive from the Egyptian ritual in which a person could purge his or her sin by carrying on their head a dish containing burning charcoal. Isn't that fascinating? It was a sign, a symbol of repentance. That's actually what it was. And so if that's the idea, this is what many people think Paul's referring to, is that by doing good, the person who has treated you wrongly, the person who has betrayed and treated you unjustly, by returning good to them, there is shame, there is conviction, there is hopefully remorse, and then ultimately there is repentance. That's what we're told. And so the contrast, my third contrast here that I wanted to share with you out of these two verses, it's the idea of overcoming versus being overcome. Being overcome by your, uh, by your hatefulness, being overcome by your evil, wanting to take revenge versus overcoming with good. Evil, I think, is what he's defining in, in verse 21, or in verse 19, where he's referring back to do not take revenge. That's the evil. Don't, you can't overcome evil with another evil act. That's his point. You can't overcome people uh, inflicting this pain and hurt on you by returning evil. Revenge. That's his point. But he says, but overcome that evil by doing good. And how's he define doing good? Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. It's acts of kindness, acts of love to him. Simply put, the way children of God are to overcome evil is through loving acts of kindness to them. Wow. Can you do that without God's help? No way, I can't. No way, but that's what we're called to do. Some of you know stories of some incredible people who have done that. Many of you know story, the story of an incredible woman named Corey Ten Boom. Not only did she and her family uh, hide Jews during uh, the Hitler regime, but she and her sister were in a concentration camp for years. And there's so many beautiful stories about Corey Ten Boom, but one of the things was that she forgave the guards. Some of you know the, the name Louis Zamperini. I'll bet. Maybe you've seen the movie Unbroken or read the book. Incredible story. How he was in a Japanese prison camp and how he was beaten and beaten and beaten. 
and how after he gave his life to Jesus, he went back to Japan and he found some of his captors and he forgave them. How about a guy named Stephen who was stoned to death and forgave those who were stoning them? How about our Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did Jesus know anything about betrayal? One of his own 12 betrayed him. How do we overcome evil, my friends? How do we respond to those who have deeply and profoundly hurt us? We do good. We do good through loving acts of kindness. Can we possibly do that without God's help? No. Here's what I want us to remember as I, as I wrap up here. Here's what I want us to remember. A consuming desire for vengeance is poison to the soul, but a sincere commitment to forgive and do good brings healing to our hearts. And you know what else? Sometimes it causes our enemy to give their life to Jesus. I'm not sure where you are today in terms of this whole topic. I'm not sure who you may uh, be at odds with who may have deeply hurt you, offended you, uh, wrecked your life. At least it feels that way. There's been maybe betrayal and the wound is deep and the bleeding hasn't stopped. And we wanna be there for you as your church family. And I hope you have people in your life who love you and can encourage you. But nobody takes the place of Jesus when everything in us wants to retaliate, when everything in us wants revenge, God says, no, you overcome evil with good, just like my son did. Let's pray, Father. These words are so deeply challenging. And as many of us have had hurt and pain and felt that betrayal and felt that injustice in our lives, and Lord, how, how many of us have felt that maybe a, a pain that has lasted for months, maybe even years. Father, we want healing from that. We need healing from that, even this morning. So Father, we want to give that up to you. Forgive us. Forgive us to holding on to a wrong that has been committed against us and certainly for wrongs that we have committed. We need your help. Sometimes the pain is overwhelming, the hurt is overwhelming. And yet you are the God of healing, you're the God of peace, you're the God of forgiveness and grace. So Father, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters and especially for anyone listening this morning 
that you would give them a sense of your assurance that they are not to carry a spirit of vengeance, that you are not only holy and loving, but you are just. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful chapter in Romans. So many precious truths. And we're just grateful that your word is alive, that your word is true, and that your word can transform us. That's what we cry out for, Father. That's what we need for you to change us, that we might be more and more like our Savior, whom we love. And we pray in his name. Amen.